the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Portions of the following program may be pre-recorded. The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. As I went down in the river to pray, studying about that good old way, and who shall wear the starry crown? Good Lord, show me the way. Oh, sisters, let's go down, let's go down, come on down. Oh, sisters, let's go down, down in the river to pray. As I went down in the river to pray, studying about that good old way, and who shall wear the robe and crown, good Lord, show me the way. Oh, brothers, let's go down, let's go down, come on down. Come on, brothers, let's go down, down in the river to pray. As I went down in the river to pray, studying about that good old way, and who shall wear the starry crown, good Lord, show me the way. Let's go down, let's go down, come on down. Oh, fathers, let's go down, down in the river to pray. As I went down in the river to pray, studying about that good old way, and who shall wear the robe and crown, good Lord, show me the way. Oh, mothers, let's go down, come on down, don't you want to go down? Come on, mothers, let's go down, down in the river to pray. As I went down in the river to pray, studying about that good old way, and who shall wear the starry crown, good Lord, show me the Sinners, let's go down, let's go down, come on down. Oh, sinners, let's go down, down in the river to pray. As I went down in the river to pray, studying about that good old way, and who shall wear the robe and the crown of the Lord? Welcome to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenlee from the National Prayer Chapel. We serve a God of of wondrous miracles, remarkable miracles. I live in this day by day. I saw him perform even last night for me personally 
some astonishing miracles. This is to be the normal part of life, not the exception. The children of Israel, they have seen the mighty hand of God move. He's led them out of Egypt. He's provided for them deliverance through the Red Sea. They were angry because they had no water to drink. It was it was water that they couldn't drink. And they did not like that. So Moses threw the piece of wood in, which represented the cross of Jesus, and the water was sweet. What a miracle! But now, an even more astonishing miracle. They're hungry, and because they're hungry, they're angry. They want food. And so God said, I will rain down bread from heaven, and I will give back to them the miracle of the Sabbath, a day of rest, a day to repose, to lay down, a day to know me, to fellowship and to worship with me. Now, a million, more than one million tons of food delivered to the children of Israel with no garbage. In other words, what they did not pick up when the sun came up and was hot, it simply melted away. There was no carton to pack it. They collected it in one of their dishes. They could grind it and make bread out of it. They could boil it and make like an oatmeal out of it. There were many different ways they could fix it. They could prepare it. They could use their different spices as they chose. This was an awesome, remarkable miracle. And then... Jesus came. Another astonishing miracle of God, the supernatural. Please, today I want to say to you that if you live just in the natural world, you don't really know Jesus yet because he is Jesus of the supernatural. We are not deists. We don't believe that Jesus wound up the universe and then walked away from it and let everything go just as it would go. No, there's a war on between the devil and the Lord Jesus Christ, and he won at the cross. He smashed his head. The devil bit him in the heel. Genesis 3.15 The death is coming of Satan. He will be cast into the lake of fire, and it will only take one mighty angel to manhandle this demon from hell. We need to understand, God is a a God of of miracle-working power. I read in Mark, the 11th chapter, You must have faith from God. Now truly I say to you that that whoever may say to this mountain, you be lifted up and be thrown into the sea, 
and may not waver in his heart, but may believe that what he says will happen. Whatever he may say will be done for him. For this reason I say to you, everything you may ask praying, you must believe that you receive it, and it will be done for you. And when you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, you must let it go, so that your Father in heaven may also remove your sins for you. But if you do not forgive, neither will the Father in heaven remove your sins. And if your sins are not removed, your prayer will not be answered. Now, I want to talk just very briefly about what we've discovered in this study of Moses and the children of Israel. That God is able and willing to deliver them. He is able and willing to work remarkable miracles on their their behalf, for their benefit. He loves caring for his people. But there are conditions to be met. And those conditions are very simple. You must repent of your sin. You must choose to follow Jesus. And you must put down all of your unbelief. You must lay down your human power. The Lord told me many years ago, and it is a source now of great encouragement in my heart, that in my life he would do more in one day for his kingdom than I could do in my entire lifetime. Remember, Jesus said, you can do nothing without me. Well, I've been able to do just about nothing. And I don't know of any pastors who've been able to do much more than nothing without the power, the presence of Jesus. Jesus dwells in a supernatural realm. He dwells dwells in the spirit world. Now, don't think that the spirit realm is woo. It's not. It's concrete, it's real. He could walk through a wall and the disciples are stunned because he didn't make a hole in it. He has supernatural abilities and powers. He is God. Now, I'm sharing this with you today because several of you have contacted me and you've said, Pastor, you're not going to be asking for money on the radio for the broadcast? We think you've painted yourself into a corner. I had two calls this morning, and I've had others. As wonderful brothers and sisters in Christ, say, how will anyone know that you need to pay the radio bill if you're not asking for money? Well, I'm trusting Jesus to tell them what to do. I'm not going to ask. I'm going to ask Jesus. And I will thank those who give. I will acknowledge your gift because I treasure it. 
I know I cannot be on the air without the ability to pay WAVA 780 AM. They require cash. I had to pay for last month's radio bill for July. August is coming up. Will God provide for this radio broadcast by moving in the hearts of men and women and saying, this is what I want you to do? Well, I want to share a story with you. And I've shared this story, but it's been a long time. If you remember it, you'll enjoy it. We need to hear these stories. I could tell you countless stories out of my own life, but I want you to hear a very concise and well-stated story of God's mighty deliverance. This is a story of a man by the name of Guy Bevington. He was a holiness evangelist. He worked at the turn of the century Southern Ohio, Kentucky, even down into Tennessee. This story is when he was in Tennessee and some people got together and established a center for evangelism. And he's there helping to prepare physically the the space. Now it's in the fall of the year. It was chilly. And so he decided he needed to get the stove ready and he needed to polish the stovepipe. And so he's standing on a cloth-bottom chair, reaching as high as he can and rubbing and polishing that stovepipe. His his feet are on the edges, the outer edges of the chair because he doesn't want to get the cloth seat dirty. So he writes... I was rubbing with all my might, stretching and reaching as high as I could. When the chair flipped over, I fell heavily, striking my side on the chair. The poor chair was completely smashed, and I just lay there among the bits and pieces for some time. I didn't know how long it was, but when I regained my senses, the building was spinning around at a tremendous rate. I felt very, very sick. I tried to get up, but I could not, so I fell back on the floor and I tried to pray. I was in such misery I could hardly even do that. Finally, I did a little better, and with the aid of three other chairs, I was able to pull myself to my feet. The pain in my side was so great it had me gasping in agony. I wondered, what is the matter? I found that putting my hand on my side and pressing a little helped a bit, so I kept the pressure there. I even preached that night with my hand pressed to my side. I didn't tell anyone what had happened or how the chair had gotten smashed. The following morning, I found myself in real difficulty. I had rigged a way to keep the weight of the covers off me during the night by propping a machine cover up at my side. I spent the night praying. 
getting some relief. I even slept very briefly. But at any move, I would awaken, feeling as though a thousand needles were pushing into my side. And then I would pray. I would get some relief. And I'd doze off again. What a terrible night. A brother, Alan, who heard of my fall, came to see me that first day. He worked only five blocks away and had meals sent to my room so he could be at my side as much as possible. At night, he slept in my bed as I was now down on the floor trying to find firmer support. No longer able to abide the bed, the pain was too great. He would get up and go to his work every morning. Brother Bevington, he finally said, I know that God healed me when you prayed for me, but this seems to be a very difficult case. There is surely something terribly wrong with your ribs. You must go see a doctor. No, no doctor for me, I replied. But by the fourth day, I seemed to be impressed to see one anyway. Lord, I don't want to see a doctor. Thou art my healer. I stuck it out another day. The sixth day since the accident, I finally decided I needed to go see a doctor. I had not anything to eat all during this time, although a woman came daily trying to bring me food. But I couldn't eat a thing or even swallow water without being thrown into a spasm of agonizing pain. I pulled myself up with the aid of two chairs, holding my side. I packed cotton batting around the belt and wrapped it around me, and that gave me some small amount of relief. Using a stick for a cane, I ventured out in search of a doctor. I hobbled in great pain for three blocks. I saw a medical sign, so I went in. I stood against the wall near the door, and soon the doctor entered to call his next patient, and he urged me to take a seat. I knew I would have a terrible time getting back up, so I remained standing, but his southern hospitality would not permit him to let me stand, so he kept insisting that I sit down. Finally, to appease him, I did and suffered greatly for doing it. I sat there for forty minutes, waiting my turn with the doctor. Finally, he motioned for me to come in. Doctor, I don't think I can get up alone, I responded. Three men quickly came to my aid and, and picked me up, and helped me into the doctor's office. Well, said the doctor jovially, you seem to be somewhat crippled up. He put his hand on my side as I was not prepared for that act. I hollered out loud and almost fainted from the pain. The doctor reconsidered his approach. Perhaps this is something quite serious. I think I'll give you something for the pain so I can examine you. No, doctor, 
Nothing of the kind, please. Just go ahead, make your examination. He poked very gently at my side and looked at my face. You cannot undergo such an examination as I will have to do without some kind of pain medication. I refused the medication again. What happened? Did some mule kick you? No, was all I said. I didn't want to tell him what was wrong. I wanted him to find out. Well, what is your profession? I'm a holiness evangelist, I replied. Do you live around here? No, I'm from Kentucky. Oh, you're from up north then. Were you holding some meetings here? Some, yes, without quite giving him the full answer. Whereabouts? I started first in the Wilcox Mission. With that, he stopped, and he looked at me most critically. Are you the man from up north that saved old Tom and Liz from their alcohol and their drugs? I never saved anybody, I replied. He eyed me with suspicion. Well, I heard that story pretty straight from a friend of mine. What's your name? I told him. He repeated it slowly, and then he said, That sure sounds like the name to me. You must be the one he told me about. No, I know I got it pretty straight, and it was in the newspapers, too. Your name sounds right. Didn't you hold a meeting at the Wilcox Mission? Finally, I admitted I had, but then I explained to him that I had not saved Tom and Liz. It was Jesus who had saved them. Well, So you are the party who fasted and prayed and stuck to them until you got them saved and remarried. I hear they're doing quite well. Yes. How much money do you have? I'd like to take an x-ray. I knew that they charged $10 for that in Cincinnati, so I quickly said, No, I'm not able to have an x-ray. Still, I felt somehow that God wanted that x-ray. I was unsure what to do except wait for God to move. Finally, the doctor said, Look, I have to put in a silver dollar each time I use this x-ray machine because it's not mine. If you have just one dollar, I'll go ahead and use it on you. Well, I knew I didn't have a dollar. So I bowed my head and waited for a moment. Then I said, I have a friend who will give you a dollar. So, if you'll go ahead and do it, I'll have the x-ray. He positioned me, put a covering over my eyes, and slipped in one of his dollars. Upon one look at the x-ray, the doctor pulled the blindfold from my eyes, exclaiming, My good man, you're all torn to pieces inside. I don't see how you've lived these six days in this condition. Your first rib is separated three-quarters of an inch, the second one half an inch, and the third one a quarter of an inch. And there's a piece of bone about the size of a horseshoe nail torn from your first rib lying across your other ribs. That's what's causing you so much pain. He shook his head in amazement. I can't do anything for you. But I have a cousin in Nashville who's in charge of the finest hospital in Tennessee. 
He and I were talking over the phone the other day about Tom and Liz. He said he really wanted to see that northern fellow. And I'm sure I can get you in there real cheap. Ordinarily, it would cost you $500 and take seven months, but tomorrow, I'll see what I can do for you. I went back to my room saying, $500 and seven months? Lord, thou canst beat that. I went into my room and resumed my position on the floor. Every movement caused great suffering but I believed that I would soon have the victory. The floor was getting harder and harder. Night came, and so did Brother Bevington, Brother Allen. I told him what I had done, where I'd been. He said, What doctor did you go to? I told him the name. Oh, he's a dear friend of mine, a saved man. He's the one who bought the baby organ for me to play at the jail and on the streets. He does all of the doctoring at the foundry where I work, and everyone recognizes him as a Christian. He always gets down on his knees and prays at the foundry before examining patients. I'll see him as I pass by his office. Brother Allen gave the doctor a dollar for me the next morning. The dear doctor worked faithfully all that day for me. That night when Brother Allen came in, he was covered with perspiration after having run three blocks to break the wonderful news to me. I just stopped, he said, in the doctor's office to see what he'd been able to do. Everything is planned out. There will be a stretcher with four men here at 9 a.m. tomorrow morning. They will take you to the depot where a special train has been chartered to take you to Nashville. You will be cared for at the remarkably low price of just what the material for the artificial ribs will cost. It won't be more than $80. All of the work and care the board will all be donated. You're going to have nearly $700 worth of medical help donated to you. That doctor is such a good man. Brother Allen, I said, that's a great favor indeed. And I do feel very grateful for all that that doctor has done. But I can't go to a hospital. What? You won't go to the hospital? I can't. I felt helpless to explain. Brother Bevington, you must remember that you are not in the north now. You are in the south where gangrene springs up in cases such as you have and spreads very rapidly. It risks infecting the whole city. The Board of Health will have to intervene and you will be sent to the pest house to die. I will never endure seeing you sent to that place. Didn't the Lord heal you down here in this very city, Brother Allen? Yes, but your condition is altogether different. In the first place, you're older than I am, and I didn't have any ailments that would cause gangrene. Perhaps not, but God, he doesn't pay attention to circumstances. Is God's power conditional? Must all these earthly facts be analyzed before God can operate? Still, he tried to reason with me. 
brother, you must exercise judgment here. You're not dealing with northerners now. You're dealing with hot-headed southerners. So, according to what you just said, you believe God's power is limited to place and people. You may believe that, Brother Allen, but you will never make Bevington believe it. I will not under any condition. Go to the hospital? No, I cannot turn my back on my heavenly doctor. Never. He's done too much for me to fail me now. But you might infect the whole city, which will not allow. They will not allow you for this. You will have all the officers in town after you, and the pest house is where you will land and die. That will be the result of your refusal, and you will not have anyone to blame but yourself. With that, he retired in complete silence. The next morning, he set off for work only to meet the doctor along the way. Well, said the doctor, I suppose Brother Bevington is delighted with what's been done for him. Doc, that fellow is acting like a crank for sure. Why do you say that? Brother Allen was frustrated to the point of sharpness as he spoke. He doesn't want to go to the hospital. He has it set in his heart that the, that the Lord is going to heal those broken ribs. Nonsense, replied the doctor. He has said he absolutely will not go. Are you telling me, the doctor asked, that he's turning down all that I've done for him? I'm sorry. Yes, that's what he's doing. Off stomped the good doctor with his southern blood dancing at a dangerous beat. About 10 a.m., three officers showed up and raked me over the coals. They gave me 24 hours to reconsider my decision, leaving me well informed as what would happen at the pest house. The time limit was up at 3 a.m. the next day. I went to praying the best I could, standing on the promises. The next day they returned right on schedule, ready to take me to the pest house. I prevailed upon them to give me until 7 a.m. the following day. They had a doctor with them who said, Gentlemen, there isn't any sign of gangrene yet. A most remarkable exception. Strangely enough, there is no sign of inflammation either. It is a very clean wound. Grant him his wish. The officials left for the time being. Brother Allen came in expressing great desperation over my obstinacy, especially upon seeing that I could not sit up or lie except in one very limited position. I told him to just be quiet, that I was trying to compose my own feelings. I was getting somewhere weak and nervous, and I had never been troubled by those feelings before. Brother Allen, you just stand still, and you will see the power of God. I was well nigh convinced God was arranging to give people there an object lesson that they would not soon forget. But my suffering kept increasing. But I held on. I continued to struggle in prayer. Just before dawn the next day, I saw myself actually shrinking down 
and getting smaller and smaller. I felt a glimmer of a hallelujah, for I knew I was on the Lord's trimming lathe. I was being trimmed down, so I began to softly praise the Lord. I want to stop just a moment. I've spoken this week about remarkable things that God did for the children of Israel. He does not just do that for the children of Israel. He has done very similar miracles for me and for others. And he will do them for you. First, it is necessary that you stand on the promise. You must pray through. How do you know when you have prayed through? Well, Bevington knows that he's prayed through because he sees himself now being trimmed down and made smaller and smaller, and God has become larger and larger. In other words, I activate the promise by faith, but nothing will happen until the faith of God comes into me and he activates the promise from his end. If I take an extension cord and I plug my light into it, I turn the switch on and nothing happens. Why? Well, because it's not plugged into the electric socket yet. It must be plugged in both to the lamp and into the electric socket. The power has to flow. Now, please understand, you can pray and pray and pray and nothing will happen. The Lord is going to have to reduce your pride and reduce you down in size He's going to have to deal with the rebellion that's in your heart. He's going to have to deal with your unbelief. And as he does so, I have learned that God will finally ignite faith, his faith. Now sometimes, as one brother said to me, I prayed for this person, and I prayed through and they died. We don't always have the result we think we want, but we have God's result. You see, I want God's result, not mine. I want God to do in my life what he wants to do. I'm not going to be obstinate and stand up in rebellion against the Most High God. I'm not going to walk in unbelief and hardness of heart. I am going to stand on the Word of God. I'm going to trust His healing power in my body. I'm going to trust Him for finances for me personally. And He's worked miraculous miracles. Miracles of provision. Some of you know some time back, I was in a very serious car accident. I was shoved off the highway, and my car hit a culvert and rolled. And I climbed out of that car unhurt. Airbags all went. Windows all broke. I didn't have a car. Did I go buy one? No. I prayed. I waited upon the Lord, and the Lord brought me a car. I want you to hear. 
God has to activate the promise from his end before anything will happen. The light won't go on until he activates the promise with his faith. It's not my faith, it's his faith that activates it. Now listen. I dare not exert myself, nor did I want to for fear of breaking the bond that was being woven by God around and through me. Neither did I want to awaken Brother Allen. I just kept quietly saying, Glory, glory, glory. At each utterance, I would see more shavings fly. That is, I would see myself reduced. I knew the victory was coming. The glories just kept coming out. Whether Brother Allen was sleeping nearby or not, they were getting louder and louder. Once I knew it was time for him to get up, I did not hesitate to open my mouth even more. I was getting excited to realize my efforts were not heal- were not hurting in, in the least. I'd not taken a long, deep breath in days. I wanted to do so, so badly. So I tried it. And I rejoiced that my side didn't hurt. Brother Allen was now awake. He was staring at me. I raised my right arm in the air and nothing hurt. I shouted as loud as I could, Glory! It is done! As I said those words, I literally heard with my physical ears the ribs come back together. I jumped to my feet and began pounding on my ribcage. Frightened by my actions, Mr. Allen bounded out of bed and grabbed my arm. Brother Allen, I'm healed. Brother Bevington, you will kill yourself if you don't stop. No, I'm healed. In spite of his trying to hold me, I kept pounding those ribs and feeling no pain. Brother Allen did not believe. He actually thought that the suffering, the possibility of not getting healed, the prospect of the pest house had so worked on my mind that I'd gone crazy. But it was done. A complete, wonderful work of the supernatural. I felt hungry. I went and had a good early dinner. I'd not eaten but one meal during those eight days of struggle. I finally was able to calm down after three hours of rejoicing and praising Jesus. I I thought I should let the doctor know what had happened. So I went to his office. I took a seat and waited for him. When he came to the door, I spoke to him, but he just grunted at me. He had been insulted, and the old man in him was making a fine display of, of what he felt on the inside. When it came my turn, he stepped to the door and motioned for the next person, ignoring me. So I jumped up, feeling he could not fail to see the difference in my movement. It had the desired effect, and he looked at me in amazement. What happened to you? Doctor, I'm a healed man. It was readily apparent he did not take much stock in that statement, but the facts were staring him in the face. He couldn't reason them away. As I stood there, pounding on my ribs and shouting, The Presbyterian doctor just stood there looking at me with a wild look in his eyes. I didn't care 
that all of his other patients were staring. He finally laid his hand on my side. Go ahead, pound my rib, doctor. He did, and then he dropped his head down on my shoulder and began to weep and tremble until he shook my whole frame. He reminded me of an aspen leaf in the wind. After weeping for several minutes, he said, There must be something in in this healing power. I've never seen anything like this. You say Jesus did this without any other kind of remedy? Yes, sir. Now here's another dollar, for I'd like you to turn on that x-ray machine again. Oh, I will gladly do it. I'm very interested in that sliver that lay across your ribs. I informed him that the sliver would be in its place. When he turned on the x-ray, he stood speechless while I stood laughing. He laid his head on my shoulder again, and he wept and trembled as he said, There is no splinter to be seen, and there is no trace of it ever having been there. Again the glory fell, and I had to walk the floor. I didn't dare be too noisy in that office, so I just paced back and forth. I felt like I was actually flying, for it seemed my feet were not touching the floor. Brother Bevington, I want you to come to our Presbyterian church and give your testimony tomorrow morning. I will vouch for it. I will pick you up in my car. I will, I said. So we went, and there seemed to be no objection of any kind to my testimony. It took me an hour to tell it all, and I felt it seemed awfully dry. No one seemed to be interested in it, except the doctor and his wife, his son and daughter. The doctor wanted me to preach that night, and the pastor finally agreed, though somewhat reluctantly. I did preach, touching lightly on holiness, but in such a way that they could all know where I stood and what I claimed. At the close, I said, I feel there's someone here who would like to get saved, saved with old-time salvation, but I see there's no altar here. The word here had scarcely left my lips when the doctor had two chairs put out. His son and daughter fell to their knees there and began to pray. This did not suit the pastor, and he turned the lights out on us, leaving us almost in total dark. We had to feel our way out of there to go home. Well, the story goes on. The doctor is kicked out of the church because of his testimony. And after he prays through for his own victory and his own sanctification and for his own baptism in the Holy Spirit, he decides to leave his medical practice, he and his wife and their two 20-some-year-old children, sell everything, buy a wagon, Remember, this was published back in 1920. They didn't have cars when this happened. They loaded a wagon up, and they decided they would drive from Tennessee to California. And they would stop along the way and hand out tracts and hold gospel meetings, and the, the doctor was going to preach every night. And that's what they did until the winter weather came. And many were saved. And the doctor established a new practice in California and would regularly send money back to help Brother Bevington in the work of ministry God had called him to. 
Now, I want to tell you, God knows what your problem is. And some of you are facing anguish and pain in your body. Some of you are facing great persecution in your family. Some of you are scorned by your adult children. Some of you have lost your jobs. I want to tell you that we still serve a God who serves manna. Who serves serves healing power to the sick. Who heals relationships and restores the broken. These stories that I've been sharing with you out of Exodus, and tomorrow we'll dive into Exodus 16, these are not just stories. These are things that can happen today if you will pray and believe and let God deal with all of the pride of your heart. Today we are so filled with the knowledge of the gospel without the practice of the gospel. Many of you, can I be very blunt and very honest? Many of you need to get on your faces before God and humble your heart and wait upon him for his power to come and heal you, restore you, but yea, even before that, to sanctify you, to turn your heart away from wickedness, to turn your heart away from the world, the flesh, and the devil. Many of you that I'm speaking to today are only half converted, and you have never seen the miraculous work of God in your life, and you're not going to see it unless you're willing to be fully converted and you're willing to lay your life down for the gospel of Jesus Christ. You're willing to stop trying to please anybody except Jesus. Now I come, and the Lord has said to me, Test me in this. See if I will not provide for the radio. And I have to tell you, I am so grateful for those of you who give Some of you regularly give $20. Some of you give $10. On the other hand, another believer will send $1,000. I don't need to ask you to do that. I'm asking Jesus to move in your heart, and I'm going to say how utterly humbled I am and how grateful I am that he will do that. I have not painted myself into a corner. If the resources are not there, the radio broadcast will simply stop happening. And I will know that it's the Lord saying, it's time for you to leave the air. You see, I'm not a servant of this radio broadcast. I'm a servant of Jesus Christ. And I do the broadcast because he's called me to do it. 
and he has given wonderful provision so that every month we do not go in debt because the Lord has told me I'm not allowed to go in debt. If I do not have what is necessary, I don't go. I don't go to the store and go in debt. I don't go in debt to pay the rent. I don't go in debt for any reason except the debt of outstanding love. And there I have a huge debt from all of you. And I thank you. I thank you for your love and your compassion and your mercy. And I thank you, those of you who've been very concerned that I'm painting myself into a corner and will soon go off the air. Yes, that could happen. It's in Jesus' hands. And I'm going to trust him. Watch what the Lord will do. And I will report honestly what he does. We serve a God who is so powerful. We bind in the name of Jesus every demonic power that would rise up against the word of Jesus Christ. I want to just pray that, please, right now. Lord, I lift up before you my dear sister who is tormented by witchcraft coming against her as she stands faithful before you. Lord, would you break that witchcraft right now in the name of Jesus? Would you reverse every curse? And would you save those who are oppressing her? Would you move in power in her husband? Would you rebuke in him this power of darkness? Lord, I pray for every person listening to this broadcast who is assailed by wicked thoughts, by severe temptations. Lord, I ask that the devil would be defeated in the name and by the blood of Jesus, your name, Jesus. I ask that you would give my brothers and sisters the courage to come by faith into your presence and not to waver in their faith. For the, for the brother James said, a double-minded man will receive nothing from the Lord. Lord, we will not be double-minded. We rebuke double-minded in the name of Jesus. We will be single-minded. We will trust in your power, Jesus. We will trust in your name, Jesus. We will stand on your promises until you activate them with divine faith. Lord, we wait upon you. You are the one we worship. You are the one we adore. I pray your blessing now for every person listening. Would you encourage them? Would you give them the promises of Scripture that you want them to stand on? Would you give them the ability to participate in the divine nature by your precious promises, as Peter writes in his epistle? The second one, Lord, have your way, and we will trust you, 
and we will obey you, and we do forgive every person for every wrong they have committed against us. And we trust you now to remove all of our sin, to wash us and cleanse us. Lord, I praise you and I worship you. Glory to the name of Jesus. Glory, praise, and honor unto the name of Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Well, you've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I pray that you made real progress today as I've shared this story of Guy Bevington written back in the 1920s. It was published for the first time. The name of the book is Remarkable Miracles. I've titled this broadcast after his book. You can go to our webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com. There you'll find this broadcast. Or you can write to me at the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. And Alberta, if you are listening today, and I pray you are, I want to tell you how you have encouraged my heart month after month. And also, Twyla, I have a whole, I have a whole handful of people here. Delip, Terry Lee, Thomas and his precious wife, Leslie, thank you. Thank you. I'm humbled. God bless you, my brother and sister. Tomorrow we'll continue the story of Moses. We'll talk soon. Intelligence Agency knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.